Hey, everybody. It is Drags, episode 16 of Jungle Roar, a Cincy football podcast. This week, I welcome back Richard Skinner, covering the Bengals for Local 12, where he serves as a columnist, editor, and, of course, anchor. Follow him on Twitter at Local12Skinny, all one word. You staying warm? Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to catch off guard there. Yeah, I don't, I, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I actually like the change of seasons. We don't get much of that here in this area. We get about 80 down to, to, to 25. And I think, uh, we, we don't get that in between. So I like the in between fall season. That's when you know it's supposed to be football season. I do. I agree with that skinny. And I, whenever I like peek out the window at whatever it is, six 30 and I see the frost on the grass, I know fall has come. I know football season is underway. So I'm happy with it. Uh, as long as my heating bills don't shoot through the roof, but yeah. Uh, and, and I, and, and I'm a sucker for the fall colors. I, I don't know why I'm just a sucker for the change of seasons when the colors, of the trees change. So I'm, I'm a sucker for that. Yeah. When I was in new England, I didn't go leaf peeping as much as I, probably should have like uh, all the states around like in maine vermont new hampshire uh that was a very popular yes um activity to do in the fall i just never got into it but i do love the change of seasons i love the fall color what i didn't like was the bengals defense and their lack of tackling on sunday how about that for a transition yeah no i i'm, I'm kind of with you um and i think it wasn't just that too and and i you know we talked to luana rumo monday and um I didn't think he gave a great answer. I think he tried to give an honest answer, and we all kind of soft shoot around the question of should he have been more aggressive uh, right. going after Mike White. And I think that was part of it. You know, he talked about we did everything. We mixed zone and blitz and man. And I I didn't see much blitz. I didn't see probably enough blitz. And then I, I – you know, maybe your linebackers did take too deep of drops, as he mentioned. And I don't think that was him rolling them under the bus. That might have been the case. Maybe they did drop, drop too deep. But, you know, th this seemed like the perfect game plan for what Baltimore did to Joe Burrow last year, which is blitz, get up in people's face, and, and take away his first read. He's a young quarterback who's playing his, who's starting his first game. I think some of the blame, listen, there's no doubt, 15 missed tackles is 15 too many, or at least 14 too many. I'll give you a, a missed tackle a game. That, there's no doubt that was a factor. But the other factor was you let Mike White stay comfortable the whole day. Right. And here's my issue with that. Whenever you're blitzing a young quarterback, you blitz them up the middle. And right. I didn't see them getting any pressure whatsoever against the Jets offensive line, Skinny, that had given up 20 sacks this year. If that's the case, they can't be very good over center protecting the quarterback. They had a not. rookie at one of their guard positions in Vera Tucker, and they failed to get any pressure over the nose. I just, I didn't understand that at all. Yeah, and, and I know people have pointed the finger at the defensive line and the whole, it's the trade deadline, you need to go get a dynamic pass rusher. You're not getting home when he's getting the ball out in two seconds. So no. you're right, you you need to put that, that pr pressure on him up the middle with blitzes. Take away some of the short stuff. It was literally, he got back there, got it out of his hands in two seconds to whatever check down receiver he wanted, and then you factor in the mess tackles on top of that. A six-yard gain becomes a 14-yard gain. Eight-yard gain becomes a 19-yard gain. Um, you know, they're, they're, I think... Uh, Lou alluded to this, and 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 I'm, I know it's true. I mean, he wouldn't make this up. This part of it, um, there, there was no pass thrown over 25 yards in the air that was completed. The only really deep shot they took, if you remember, was yeah, one on guy penalty. was wide. Yeah, and it was a penalty anyway that would have wiped right. it out. So, uh, I, I that's the part I don't get. I, I think some of this is laid at the feet, of, and I like Lou Anarum. I think Lou's done great things with this defense. I think he's got his guys. He's playing it the way he wants to play it. But I thought Sunday that game plan was just awful. No, I and I just it looked like they were out of sorts from the get from the yes. jump. Yes, I, I don't think that uh, they had a, you know, we talk about rhythm in offense. They had no rhythm defensively. None. And it just 
I didn't understand it. And um, the other thing, and, you know, I thought Paul Daner did a great job from the athletic of asking um, Zach and Lou about this um, coming up this Sunday, they are facing a team. If they couldn't handle the screen pass defensively against the jets very well, what in the world are they going to do against Nick Chubb and the Cleveland Browns who run screens to death? And they obviously killed the Bengals with it last year. Bengals better defend the screen pass better this week than they did last week. Yeah, and they utilize their tight ends a ton. I mean, they're not dynamic on the outside, especially if Jarvis Landry's limited, which he's been. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. The whole, you know, maybe, <laughs> they, yeah, maybe they maybe they force feed him the ball this week. In, in an answer to what took place, I doubt it. Um, I think some of this is is on Baker. I think his dad's right for whatever reason. Baker and Odell don't have a connection. But don't forget, Baker's also dealing with that that left shoulder injury. You you can't imagine they're they're going to kind of do the same thing. I'm going to guess that, that that New York just did. You're not going to expose Baker Mayfield to hits. You're not going to let him stand back there, you know, and and take you know five step, seven step drops and try to identify a twenty yard cross down the field. No, he's going to run the screen game. He's going to find his tight ends. He's going to check it down. He's going to get it out quick. And you better fix what you you. D- didn't fix this past week. You better have a better game plan going in to put pressure on that, to sit on short routes, to say, you know what, you want to take a shot over the top, go ahead. We'll see if you can hold up protection before we belt you a couple of times with that bad shoulder. He's not going to like to do that. So I, he, there better be a game plan that's more structured to, to, to stopping some of the short stuff. And yeah, tackling has got to be at a premium. Well, it better be because um, I'm sure you know this, Skinny, but you know what the Cleveland Browns rank in rushing in the National Football League? Uh, they were number one going into last week. I do know that. I don't know. I did not look still at this are. week. They didn't have a great game against Pittsburgh. Yeah, as I say, I'm going to guess they probably still are. So, yeah. 161.1 yards on the ground per game for your Cleveland Browns. And five, what is it? 5.2 5. 5. or 5.3 a rush? 5.16. Close enough for government work. Yeah. Um, so, and that's going to be led, obviously, uh, by Nick Chubb. And they bet they just have to tackle. I mean, they, they know Chubb's going to get the ball. Um, they have to defeat blocks, which I think uh, their defensive line has done very well this year. We haven't yeah. talked a lot yeah. about that this year, but they have defeated blocks at the line of scrimmage very well, especially on the interior um, between the tackles. And they got to get the ball. They got to get Chubb to the ground, hold him to two and three. Look, he's going to get explosive runs, sure. 10 to 12 yards on occasion and you can live with that you cannot have them doing what the jets did um what the bears did when they beat the bengals uh and uh, certainly what other teams have done and that is chew up lots and lots of clock that can't happen yeah you you can't look up and see 38 rushes for them for 190 yards averaging five yards a pop if that's the case that means that uh Baker hasn't had to do too much in that game. That means they are going to control the football. They are going to control the clock. They're going to get you back out of rhythm again. So, yeah, uh, it is paramount to win. For, you better win first down. You win first down, and then let's see what Baker can do on second and nines, third and sevens, where he can't throw check downs. He can't throw short. He can't use the screen game as much as he would like to do. Um, so, yeah, you need to win those downs. And I know Lou tried that in this last game. Obviously, he started with some five-man defensive line group stuff, and I yep. kind of like that idea. I thought, oh, yeah, make this kid one-dimensional. And it worked to a degree, but then, you know, you, you obviously had other issues with, with the tackling, and then when you went to the four-man front, they got the ball out quick. So, obviously, there's going to be a counter from Cleveland, too, if you go to the five-man front. But I think I think winning first down is absolutely paramount in this game. No question about that. And um, I, I, for whatever reason, I have a good feeling about this uh, Bengal team that yeah. the 
they are going to be able to answer what happened in New Jersey on Sunday in a positive way. You're going to see a focus team this week at practice. And I think they got the wake up call uh, that they're going to need going forward. They know that they can't rest on their laurels. Uh, Zach Taylor tried all of the th- right saying all the right things after the win in Baltimore, but still, um, you've got to go through it. Sometimes you've got to experience a bad, bad loss in a game. You shouldn't have, um, you know, been the lesser team and move forward. I think this team's going to do that knowing, uh, Richard Skinner, what is on the line if they lose this game and going into the bye week. And, uh, if Pittsburgh beats the bears at home on Monday night, which they should, and right. the bike and the, um, I should say the Ravens beat the Vikings at home, which I think they should, you're looking at a much tighter and diff- more difficult path to the postseason. Yeah, no question. And, and I'm kind of with you. I mean, I, they did a great job of bouncing back from the Bears game. They did a great job. And I don't want to say bouncing back from the Packers loss, but you still had to bounce back from the Packers loss because it was a tough one to lose because you had a couple of kicks to win it, for goodness sakes, um, and, and played their best game in, in, in Baltimore. And and I think that shows you this. there is some resiliency to this team. Um, the fact that it's a division game, I think, helps a ton. I mean, if you want to snap your focus back to attention quickly, nothing snaps it back quicker than playing a divisional game. You get to play it at home. And if you look at Cleveland, they're a beat-up football team to a degree if you look at their defense Mike it, it it's funny if you look at some of the games where they've played the better offenses and I think the Bengals are in that group of better offenses um you know Kansas City Arizona scored, yeah Arizona uh Kansas City the Chargers at the time were playing good football and were hot and they scored 47 on them when they've played bad offenses you can look at some of the numbers they dominated Justin Fields in that game where they just beat him up um you know last week Pittsburgh's not a very good offense and they did the Pittsburgh didn't do it they did enough to win the game but they, they didn't do a whole lot so you look when they played the better offenses this defense has really struggled it's beat up the fact that you're right you get the wake-up call you need I'd be stunned if you don't get a great performance from the Bengals on Sunday stunned yeah I I would too and I want to ask your opinion you've seen you've been around this franchise for decades skinny um what did you think of uh the triumvirate the uh <laughs> the uh, gang of three, wh- whatever you want to call them. The uh, what did I call? It? I can't even remember what I called them. Three after. amigos. The three, three amigos. amigos. Three Thank amigos. you. The well, three no, amigos. It's, it, it, so it, it, it's funny you say that. To, pe- to take a peek behind the curtain, for those that maybe don't know, we kind of all share transcription after press conferences and games just to take some load off. You right. know, if you do your stuff at your own locker room, back in the locker room days, if you had your own stuff, you're not sharing that stuff. That was kind of the beauty of being in the locker room. You could go get your own stuff. Well, it's right. hard to do that now. So we kind of share transcription with each other. And so I actually. Um, I was getting myself ready to go do TV, um, was taking a shower, came out of the shower, came back to see when the person who divvied up the transcription, what he gave me. And I saw the thing, Three Amigos. And I'm like, what in the world is Three Amigos? Well, I didn't have that part of it. He gave me a different part. So I'm kind of, I'm the whole time thinking, what are Three Amigos? What is this all about? And then obviously when the transcription came and then, you know, I learned the backstory of the three of them being at the podium at the same time. I thought it was quite interesting and probably does tell you a lot about this team, that they want to make sure that every. Everybody knows we got each other's backs. Um, it's a young group. Um, and, and so you've got young leaders. And I think that was a positive thing that, that listen, you know, you could have some splintering all of a sudden of, hey, you guys let us down today. It, was, it wasn't us, the offense. It was you guys, the defense. Because trust me, there's probably been days where the defense could go, no, you let it. I mean, the, the Chicago game's a great example. Right. No offense. You let us down today. We won. No. And I think that was I think that was important, symbolic or not. Um, you can call it hokey if you'd like. You can call it staged if you want. And probably all of those are true. But the other truth is they did it. And I think they 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 meant to send a message with that. And they did. I do. And I do think uh, perception uh, plays an 
awful power, uh, awfully powerful role uh, in trying to let everybody know that they regretted how they came out and played yesterday uh, on Sunday. And right. um, I, I liked what they did, but more important, Skinny, I like the message of, yes. you know, we we were not we didn't come out with the right energy in that game on Sunday. And, uh, it, that is going to be the only time that happens. We are not going to let ourselves fall into that trap of not being emotionally ready. I think they were, uh, X's and O's. I think they were, uh, physically ready for the game. Mentally. I don't think they were. No, I mean, you saw Jamar chase with a drop in the end zone and, and down by the goal line, just kind of getting shoved around a little bit. I, I, yeah. I think there was just a little bit of everything that goes into that. And that's that's where in, in the NFL, I mean, people laugh about it. Heck, we joke about the quote-unquote trap game. It can't be real. It's just the Jets. They're going to be okay. And I bought into it. I predicted Bengals 27, Jets 10 because I thought, yeah, I do get the trap game. I've been around the league long enough to watch this. But gosh, the Jets. Are so bad, and they who in the are. world is Mike White? And they're going to be just fine. And they, they are, and they are. And who in the world is Mike White? And they're they're going to be okay. And it just it was the classic spot for exactly what happened on Sunday. I, I want to say one other thing too. And listen, I've got my faults with Zach Taylor at times as a play caller. I, I have my faults with him with slow starts to games. I do think this, and I think both of these things can be true. You can blame him for some of those things. I know fans do. It's quick to jump on him, and that's fine. And you're probably right. The other thing that's true is he has built a culture. Um, and maybe the players, a lot of that's credit to the players. They built the culture themselves. But I think what you saw on Sunday with the three guys you talked about is part of that culture of, I think they really believe they are good enough as a collective group to do some special things. Maybe it doesn't come this year, but it's darn close in their opinion. I think that's what they kind of wanted to say is, listen, we still believe in each other. We think we got, the, I think we, I can't remember what players said it. We've got the right guys in this locker room to win. It might've been Jesse, one of those guys. We've got the right guys in this locker room to win. I think they truly believe that. And I think they do. I think you can agree with this. This is not an untalented football team. The last two years, that was an untalented group, and then it got hurt, and it got even less talented because you had to plug in guys who shouldn't be on NFL rosters, for goodness sakes. This is a good roster. It's a good football team. It stubbed its toe. Now respond against Cleveland. I agree with everything you just said. Two things, Skinny, that stuck out uh, to me. Uh, Joe, what Joe, Joe Mixon is a different kind of leader now, and yes. I think he has embraced the captain's role. I don't think there has been enough. Uh, there's been some talk about it uh, this season, but not enough, in my uh, opinion. Secondly. Sign Jesse Bates. I I know you can franchise him yes. for next year. I, I've seen enough to to let me know that Jesse Bates is a 24, soon to be 25 year old uh, safety in the National Football League is somebody you want around the franchise long term. And yeah, now I, I I will I will say if you if if you believe in PFF stats, Mike, and I don't always believe in all of them. PFF stats show Jesse not having a great year, but I think for the reasons you're talking about is age. Um, he is a good safety. He's not having the year he had last year by any stretch. And he's probably regressed a little bit. And some of that may be, you know, I, I can't tell you he's making business decisions. I don't know if I believe that. But for whatever reason, the numbers don't lie. But I'm with you. The, he, there is a leadership to him. He's part of the core. There's a reason, Mike. There is a reason. If you go back, and, and I occasionally would thumb through the yearbook for whatever blanks and giggles, the Bengals yearbook, and they have a picture of the guys with the new uniforms. They're kind of showing, the, you know, that's kind of the yearbook picture. Yes. yes. And Jesse Bates is one of those guys in there with Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd and um, uh, and Joe Burrow, and I'm missing a couple guys. Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard, thank you. The guys who, you, that almost was like, here's our core, people. Look at what our core is with our new uniforms. And who was part of that core, right? Jesse Bates. Sign him. I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he is 
as valuable a leader as he is a safety on the Cincinnati yeah. Bengals. And normally I don't go for that because at the end of the day, you have to be able to play your position well, true. And, yes. and, and play it at an elite level. I think he has the capability and has you don't all of a sudden become at 24, 25 years of age later in your career, you do, but you don't all of a sudden overnight become a, a mediocre player when you've shown right. exceptional um, elite level ability, um, whether it's offense or defense, special teams, I don't care when you're that young. I don't think you become bad overnight. And when you're that good, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, and while the numbers of PFF may show that he's not having a great season, count off the number of big plays off the top of your head that have gone over top of this defense this year. How many have there been? Not very uh, many, right? And hard, hard to measure that. It's hard. To, does that mean he's in the right place that he takes that away and that doesn't get counted in stats? Right? I mean, some of that stuff to me, again, I'm not dissing PFF. I think it does have a time and place that sometimes can back up what your eyeballs show you, et cetera. But does that, is that factoring the grade of Jesse flash to a spot where quarterback said, oh, I can't go there. I have to go there. Does that get counted in? All I know is if he's playing single high safety, a lot of times I don't see many big shots down the field. And I think that's a credit to him. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, speaking with Richard Skinner of Local 12, doing a great job uh, covering the Cincinnati Bengals. You can follow him on Twitter at Local 12 uh, Skinny. All right, Skinny. Um, as we look towards the second half of the season, what are the things you want to see in this Browns game uh, that will give you hope that they can battle for a playoff spot as the schedule gets tougher? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things. You, you got to fix the fat, the slow starts. You just you can't keep putting yourself in the in the seven nothing holes or suddenly get things going. I like to see them be more aggressive early in games. I really do. I, I think some of that is, I, and I asked Zach a couple of weeks ago that question of you know are you just kind of feeling teams out, and that's okay if you are. I get that part of it. But maybe you look and go, all right, let's take some shots down the field early. Let, let's loosen things up defensively. I think we need to see a bounce back tackling performance. If we have, if you start stacking bad tackling performances yeah. on one another, um, then we have to start going, all right, what's going on here? There, there, is there so, there's some issue that, that, that's now creeping into play. Um, and, and obviously win this game. You go, listen, six and three at the bye. I would have never believed it before the year started. And then because we talked about even if you were the daunting task of the second half, right? Well, that task isn't quite as daunting because the Chiefs aren't, uh, you know, world beaters like we thought they were, myself included in that group. The Chargers suddenly seem very, uh, very vincible, if you will, because they, they, uh, you know, they were they were the hot shot team for a while with the hot shot quarterback. That ooh, did the Bengals maybe miss on Justin Herbert and maybe he was the guy? Well, yeah. suddenly that's maybe I never. Not the b- by the way, I need to jump in here. Yeah. I when I saw that. You know, early in the season, I'm like, I bet your Bengal fans would rather have Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow. I I couldn't roll my eyes hard enough at that. And I'm I'm not look, Justin Herbert's gonna be a terrific NFL yes. quarterback. Joe Burrow fits what the Bengals no doubt do and is exactly the kind of attitude they need in that locker room. Those two things make him a grand slam for the Bengals. Yeah, and my, I, I'll be honest, Charlie Goldsmith from the Enquirer asked, um, asked Zach the question, and, and I I made a point in my Sunday piece afterwards. Joe made three really spectacular throws on Sunday. that gets lost yes. because we're all, we're all pissed at the loss, right? Fans are pissed. Everybody, we're writing negative things, all that. But he made three spectacular throws, and he was asked about that on Monday, and Zach, I thought, gave a great answer to it. I mean, the the, the throw uh, where he has got a blitzer in his face. Yeah, I asked him this question, by yeah. the way. Yes. 
That was you. Yeah, that's yeah, yes. yeah, okay. That was you that asked it. And, I mean, that was just a, I, the guy's in his face, and he makes a perfect throw to Tyler Boyd. Um, you know, the throw to T. Higgins it was a great catch, but let's not discount where the throw was on that play, too. I mean, it was the only place to catch it was was T. Higgins, and he had a couple other great throws in that game that that get lost. And and I I go back to I, I hate the comparison stuff, but I think Phil Sims is dead right. He reminds me of Joe Montana. He just he doesn't have the rocket, he doesn't have the gun, he's not a gunslinger. But right. he puts ball placement usually perfect. He's got great poise. Um, he produces. Um, let's not forget the fact that, you know, he's got the longest streak in the NFL of any quarterback of throwing two touchdown passes or more right now. He does that. That's Brady-esque. That yes, that's he that. has that. Yes. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's not just all the things we talk about. It's also performance and, and numbers that he puts up. It just... He doesn't look like a gunslinger. He's not. That's fine. Some guys do, and I I love to watch. I love watching Justin Herbert's arm. I, the arm talent to me. I love watching Pat Mahomes sling it sidearm sixty yards. It's fun to watch. Um, but you don't get anything for style points. You get stuff no. for moving the team down the field and scoring points. And and he is the perfect guy. I'm I'm with you in that regard. Yeah. Uh, by the way, props to Charlie because yes, Charlie wrote about it. I just yeah. um you know. Uh, me having the ego I have, I just needed to correct the record there and say, yes, it was me. Yeah, it was you. I know I knew somebody did. I remember somebody did because I thought it was a good question because I, I I, mean, I wrote about it after the game of the three great throws that he made. I mean, I thought those were three spectacular throws that, again, get lost in the shuffle because we're all writing about the loss and that they can't tackle. Correct. And uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, I just, I like where this team is at, Skinny, but they need to show me something on Sunday. Absolutely. That, you know, and they've been resilient so far this season. I do believe in their culture. I think it is much, much improved. Um, I think they have the right head about them uh, going into this week. Well, we'll see if they do, but I, everything I've seen so far this season gives me reason for hope. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, I, I think all of us either wrote about it, talked about it, podcast, casted about the change of expectations after that Baltimore win. And I think they're real and there should have been changes of expectations. This is no longer, boy, I sure hope this team takes a nice little step forward this year. No, you put yourself in the category of you are good enough to be a playoff team. You honestly should now be a playoff team, to be quite frank. Um, so I think those expectations should be real. And okay, you stubbed your toe here and, and it was bad and it was awful, but it would be awful in the context of, well, it's the Bengals. They're not very good anyway. And look what they just, they went and lost to an even worse Jets team. Um, you know, you don't think they have the talent to bounce back. No, this team has the talent to bounce back. I think they showed they have the resiliency after the Chicago game to bounce back. I think the fact that they came out and spoke the way they spoke shows they're ready to, to bounce back. And I will be highly disappointed if they don't bounce back. It will then change my expectations of, is Zach Taylor the right guy to be the coach for this team, to be honest that with you? That is the team, next. It, it, yeah. That's the final question I want to land on. Now it's up to Zach Taylor and the, and the coaching staff to show, okay, the attitude of the players is there. I believe yes. that. Can they give yes. them the right game plan and the right blueprint going forward? That's the big question. And I'll be honest, I mean, I think Lou, kind of the way he answered us the other day, I think he probably regrets his game plan in that Jets game too of, uh, you know, of, of the way that he attacked that. And so that's what I'm saying. You're, you're facing – a similar type offense. Obviously, the, the Jets coming in couldn't run the ball an ounce and actually did a little bit. This team can run the ball, so you've got to factor that in the equation. But I think from a passing perspective, you're going to see almost the exact same blueprint for what you just saw. So how does Lou attack this team after seeing what he just saw with the Jets? That, to me, is the big part. I think this offense 
whether I believe all the time in Zach Taylor's play calling or not and decision making or not, this offense now is showing you I think it's going to score. I mean, they scored 31 points and still didn't even look great scoring 31 points, right? Even right. left some points down by the, you know, they left on that one drive well, to the Bates I mean, interception. They left yes. a, a touchdown off the board, for goodness sake. So, I mean, I think you're seeing this team's capable of week in, week out, getting to that 30-point threshold, whether they like to get there or, or not. Um, so I, I think that part's going to be a given. I, I think you'll see the defense play a much better game. So, yeah, I, I, I but I think you're right. If, if you don't give them the right game plan or the execution isn't there or the attention to detail isn't there, five and four at the bye week, you have to start questioning, is this the right coaching staff, right or wrong? And again, they still have eight more games to fix some things. But after the way you started at five and two in that Baltimore win, losing the last two really winnable games before the bye, that's not a good look for anybody. Mike Hilton penalty revisited, as you wrote, uh, what Anna Rumo said he would coach him to do differently, which is to say nothing. nothing. He Correct. said I would do nothing. He said he made, Mike made a heck of a tackle is exactly exactly how he phrased it. I know everybody can say, well, that call didn't cost him the game. Yeah, I guess it didn't, but it also took away any chance for them to go win the game, and that's the unfortunate part to it. I, the league, to me, has got to fix some of this stuff, and, and we didn't get a chance this year, Mike. I know you probably did in New England in past years where officials will come through in preseason, talk points of emphasis. Yes, emphasis. We can talk to them Correct. and ask questions. We didn't that. get a chance to do that this year, obviously. And we didn't do it last year because of COVID. But I can remember a couple years ago when the kind of lowering of the head was a point of emphasis. A question was asked of the, of the you know, how much will you will you dock the offense for lowering that? Well, they, they're not allowed to lower their head either. Well, what did Ty Johnson do? He I mean, that lowered his head to initiate contact. Right. They they both were trying to be low pad level wins, right? I don't think anybody was leading with hel- crown of helmet. They were just trying to get low against each other. And occasionally when you do that, you can go head to head. I'm a big believer. I, listen, I, I think if you've got guys maliciously intending to lead with crowns of helmets, um, then that absolutely is a flag. And honestly, they should be kicked out and all of those things. But I think, and I know intent's hard to prove sometimes. I do. But I think you have to show intent in that circumstance. Were you intending to lower the crown of your head to batter his 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 helmet and hurt him? No, Mike Hilton was trying to get low on a third and 11 play. No, this, I mean, as a referee, know the situation. You think he's trying to go in there maliciously on that guy? Or do you think he's just trying to make a stop on Here's third and 11 and give him the problem. ball back? N- not to um, end or, or cut, your, no, cut off yeah, your, no, your very good. justifiable rant. The fact, A, that the officials got together and they said, yeah, his intent was clearly to lower with the crown of his helmet yeah. and, and injure. And B, they didn't announce anything to the to the crowd, to the press box, to right, anybody. Right, right. What was the call? They just right. announced unnecessary roughness. roughness. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, Paul uh, Daner from The Athletic, uh, our PFWA pro football writers um, pool reporter, uh, got a hold of... Um, Craig Rolstad. Craig Rolstad. Thank you. And got an explanation, but that shouldn't be the case for fans out there uh, at the end of the day. And even for reporters in the press box wondering what the hell just happened. Well, his explanation was awfully flippant too, especially the explanation of, of, you know, what could he have done different? And I said, I'm not going to teach him how to tackle. I can't, I don't know the exact quote, but it was along the lines of he, yes. you know, should, he should leave with his shoulder. Well, dude, I mean, again, no time, circumstance in place, right? Um, third and 11 with game on the line. You think Mike Hilton's trying to go in there with the crown of the helmet to, to hit a guy maliciously? No, he's trying to make a tackle. He got low, running back got low. Um, you know, I guess you could argue t- 
two sins should cancel each other out. In this case, both players, you could argue, are both are in the wrong. But Mike Hilton wasn't the only one in the wrong in that circumstance. Both of them went low. Nobody got hurt. They both got up. That part, I think, should be significant as well. If one thing, if, if you know, you go bang, bang, and a guy stays down, okay, then maybe you go, well, that's pretty malicious, and he's out. No, both got up. Both were fine. Just it was a glancing blow. A, it, it's, it's just bad in the fact that there's really no accountability to this for officials other than Paul being able to ask some questions and the official giving some flippant, flippant answers. That's just not right. No, it is not. And uh, at that point, we are going to cut off this podcast. We have talked about a lot of things. Skinny, anything you want to promote? Anything <laughs> you're working on uh, in terms of Kentucky? Uh, just you, or... you, we, yeah, we got all kinds of stuff. We got high school football coverage yeah. on the website. Uh, obviously, you can, you can certainly go there and, and look at the big graphic of six for the UC football team being jobbed last night, being yeah. number six in the CFP rankings. Okay, uh, okay. So well, all that stuff. And of we're course, all kinds of Bengals coverage. Yeah, okay. You got one more for Because it. it's my damn <laughs> okay. podcast. I can do whatever the hell I want That's right. Do. You do what you want. That's right. So, you don't you you don't look impressive against Navy and Tulane back to back, a pair of one win teams. That is what you open the door for. Yeah. That's what you open the door for. There's no question about that. But I, I keep hearing people discounting uh, you know the, the schedule. Well, they they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is ranked tenth in that in that ranking. Last I checked, Alabama lost to Texas A and M. Did you find Texas? And I love Alabama. I think the eyeball test Mike Alabama is the second best team in the country. All right, eyeball test. That's my opinion. You can have something sure. different. Fred, watching this podcast, can have something different. My opinion is they are the second best team in the country. But you also you lost to Texas A and M. I didn't see them in the top ten last night. Did you? No, I certainly did not. I'll be honest with you. I think Georgia clearly is the best team in the country, and I'm a Kentucky grad and a Kentucky fan, and I think Kentucky's really good. That's probably Georgia's best win, and they didn't exactly dominate that game from start to finish. Again, they are the best. Don't get me wrong. Michigan State, they're, they're, they're now getting propped up for beating Miami at Miami. Miami's a 500-football team, for goodness <laughs> sakes. So don't give me the whole, oh, you didn't look good the last couple of weeks. You're right. That did open the door. But there's also a part of me that says, even if they'd have won with style points, I still don't know if it would have mattered. I really okay. don't. And let me throw this one out at you. And I don't think there's been enough talk about this. And yes, it was last year. If UC doesn't blow that game against Georgia in the Peach Bowl and has a, a dominating win against Georgia in the last game before this current season, I do think that changes the perspective of UC, especially when you're talking about Georgia. Yeah, it probably does because the win means more. But the, also the fact that you stayed toe to toe with that group too ought to tell you that. Hey, if you're wondering, does UC belong in the? Could they play with a Georgia? I don't know if anybody can play with Georgia this year. I do know this. Last year, the very last game they played with Georgia, and Georgia's got a lot of the same guys back. Yes, certainly yep. they recruited all that. So did, and so does Cincinnati. Cincinnati didn't suddenly get sixty-five guys from Alabama out of the transfer portal that just came to Cincinnati. It's kind of the same group, and that to me should count for something. And it, it's really, it's really discounted at this point. But the W would have would have held a lot more weight, no doubt. Uh, a homecoming game this week against Tulsa. It, it has to be a big, big, big win. 52 to 10. It better be 52 to 10. You better start. And honestly, you, you almost, and, and here's what this does too, Mike. And, and I, I thought we got away from margins of victories with some of this stuff, but now what you're asking teams to do is be unsportsmanlike. You know, you guys better go pile it on. Hey, go, go beat them 66 to seven. If you want to leave your starters in, go do it. I mean, I, what are we getting at here? Well, I mean, it's style points and you're, you're getting at, you have to impress the committee and the only yes, way do. to impress the committee short of, you know, redo reworking your schedule is by piling it on. And, you know, you're right. Uh, first of all, this, this playoff should be no fewer than eight teams. There's no reason. Exactly. To, well, that, that, that's, the other, that's the other part. Yeah. That's the other part, Mike is, is 
the eight teams, if you do it the way that I think the model should be, and this is my own model, it's not the perfect model, it's kind of the NCAA basketball model is, you got five power five conferences, right? They each get an automatic bid. So those teams know what they're playing for. And yeah, I know you can argue, well, what if a 9-3 and three UCLA wins the Pac-12? So be it. I've watched a 16-14 and 14 Memphis team win Conference USA in basketball and get it. That happens. That's it. They, they, the parameters are this. Here's how you get your automatic bid. I don't care how you got that. I don't care if you went 9-20 and 20 and won your conference tournament. That's the automatic parameter. You're in. So give them the five. Then the three at-larges, and, and, and one of those has to be a group of five team, and then you get two other at-larges from whatever the, the, the remnants may be, the second team from the SEC, the third team from the SEC, the second team from the, from the Big Ten. I think that would wrap it up in a neat bow where you know exactly what you were all playing for. Does a two-loss Alabama team beat, uh, get in over a undefeated Cincinnati team? It's funny you say that. A friend of mine and I were texting last night. He's not a UC guy. He's an anti-UC, which is fine. I get it. He's, he's, and he said, two loss Alabama gets in over them. I said, no chance. There's no way the committee can look anybody squarely in the eye and say, team with two losses over, a head, over an undefeated team gets in. Now, I will say, probably two loss Alabama would open the door for a different one loss team, a one loss Michigan State, um, a one loss, obviously, Ohio, Ohio State, State, which I think will find yes. its way. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think a two loss Alabama opens the door more for those teams than unfortunately it does for an undefeated Cincinnati. But that's the exact question he asked me last night. And I said, if it happens, oh my gosh, I will lose my mind. Um, and the, the thing, if you're a Bearcat fan, the number one thing you have to root for is for Oregon to take a nosedive. And Oregon. Yes. That, that's that, that. Yes. Go ahead. They, and they can't. I th- no, I think they're capable of taking the nosedive. That's the thing that screwed this up. And I've said at the time on my podcast with, with Rick Boring that we do each and every week, when they wanted Ohio State, that opened the door for the Pac-12. And he's been arguing with me since then. Well, the ugly loss to Stanford, I said, I'm telling you, the win at Ohio State trumps the ugly loss at Stanford. I wish yep. it didn't, but it trumps it, man. It really does. And I think that's what you saw last night. Well, I'm going to be catching up with you at uh, Paul Brown Stadium, right, for practice? Yep. Pr- bring your parka. My, 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 uh, I'm looking at my laptop right now that shows an outside temperature of 29 degrees mike i am gonna layer up you know it is time is that time of season uh skinny to uh, layer up and i will have plenty of uh, extra hoodies so uh, courtesy a head coach in new england that made him famous that's that's right (laughs) (laughs) where 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 it was styled don't wear it with like cut off sleeves and stuff you know i I, yes i i do skinny i i will try (laughs) to wear it with style i i don't do the cutoff look at all want to thank everybody for listening good yeah good (laughs) want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the jungle roar podcast and want to also thank our terrific guest richard skinner of local 12 you can follow him on twitter you should be following him on twitter if you aren't already at local 12 skinny all one word you can also download this podcast wherever you download your favorite podcast including apple stitcher and spotify for richard skinner of local 12 i'm mike petralia and this has been the jungle roar podcast